0: Hi, I'm Maria Harris of Bellosos, and you're listening to a new Socialist Podcast. Grab a cuppa and relax. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to today's Socialist Podcast featuring Sarah Veblen, as we start the socialist podcast on the topic of All buts Welcome. So All buts Welcome is about making patterns that fit you in the area that you can't see without mirrors or assistance from people around you. Let's welcome Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm so happy to be on your show. I'm so honoured that you're here on the podcast for So Organised Style and Socialists today. Now, let's get started because I know that you've got so much information to talk about. Sarah, tell us about your background and where we can find you on social media.
1: I'll first tell you about how you can find me on social media and then my background, because that's a little bit longer explanation. (laughs) I post on Instagram under my name, Sarah Beblin. On Facebook, I have a personal page, Sarah Beblin, and also a Sarah Beblin clothing originals page, which is the name of my company. And my website is my name, www.sarahbevlin.com. And my email address, if you want that, is the same thing, sarah at sarahbevlin.com. And I always love getting emails from people. So my background is that I had been a lifetime sewer since I was a child and sewed all my own clothes. I had worked as a secretary for a long time, was raising a family. It took some years off of working in offices, worked in an office again, very briefly. And I thought, I don't really want to do this. I want to do something I want to do. So I decided to go back to school and get a a degree in fashion design. And at the time, my marriage was unraveling. And so I thought that I would change everything, I guess, and went back to school right as I was divorcing. And I already had a bachelor's degree. So in the States, I only needed to get a certificate in fashion design. I went to a local fashion school at Baltimore City Community College. And my first couple of semesters were pattern drafting and flat pattern. And I was totally captured and captivated by it because I realized that I was learning the theory behind everything I'd been doing by the seat of my pants for a long time. So I'd been a very prolific sewer for myself and my children. So the sewing end of things was not a challenge for me. Learning about flat pattern was wonderful. They do not teach fit in fashion school. Here, for the most part, I don't know about in other countries, but fit is not something that is usually addressed, but I was very interested in fit. It's why I had started to sew for myself is I could never buy clothes off the rack that fit me. Lots and lots of sewers say the same thing. Yes, they do. So I started to study fit. And what I really wanted to do was to sew clothing for individual women. So I wanted to do custom clothing. And I had been earning some money by making children's clothes and selling them in boutiques after a while. It's like, okay, I can't do that anymore. I really got to get my custom clothing business off the ground. Mm. And I was very fortunate. We have a wonderful independent fabric store here called A Fabric Place, and they have beautiful fabrics. And at that time, they had two branches of the store. I went to one more often. And they started to give me my first clients. So for about 15 years, I supported myself and my family on making custom clothing. And my uh, what I was developing my reputation was that I could fit. And obviously, I was interested in fabrics and helping women feel good about themselves. And that magic that we all know as garment sewers when you have something the fabric is right and the fit is right and mm-hmm. you're comfortable. You feel like a million dollars. And I feel like that's what everybody can, who is willing to sew for themselves can achieve. So the biggest point of my custom clothing career, I had four gals stitching for me part-time, which was wonderful because they all could stitch from their homes. I felt really good about helping other women have that kind of employment. And I often would have on the order of 15 to 30 different jobs going on at once. So it wasn't exactly a sweatshop. I don't like to think about it in terms of that, but mm. I was producing a lot of clothing and it was all custom. So I did all of the fitting for my clients and the pattern development and all of the design development and where I had assistance with my stitchers was constructing the garments. It was a wonderful ride. It was really interesting. I have no idea how many thousands of garments I've made at this point. But um, when you fit that number of people, you really learn fitting.
0: So how many years were you doing this?
1: I was doing custom clothing pretty exclusively for about 12 or 13 years Wow! before I started to teach. It's a lot of garments that...
0: Yeah. That's a lot of fitting experience too. It's a lot of fitting
1: experience. And so I had my go-to fitting books, but I was often really frustrated because I would read and read and read and then try to apply it to what was going on with the client that I was fitting and I couldn't make it work. So I started to use horizontal balance lines, which are lines that are sometimes referred to in pattern making and also in draping, and they are parallel to the floor in your garment. So if you think about a skirt, the hem is parallel to the floor, and then your HVL is placed up at the hip. And as I discovered, if you start to use your horizontal balance lines and really pay attention to them, they help you enormously in your ability to get a good fit. And I was employing this during the time that I was doing custom clothing. So it's something I developed. I can't say I'm the only person that's done it. Horizontal balance lines have been around for a long time, but I had never seen in the literature how to be always using your horizontal balance lines in both your pattern making and in your fitting. And I learned to really just watch my HBLs, the grain line, and was able to get a really terrific fit. So I started to do a little bit of teaching people who heard about me, who were were home sewers, hobby sewers, and they wanted to get a better fit. So I started to work with them. And that's really how I started to teach. After I'd started to teach for a while, I was contacted by Mm patternreview.com. And I've been a longtime teacher for about 15 years for pattern review. I love teaching on pattern review. Deepika's great about her heart's just so full of sewing and wanting to do that. It's great. So I've had a lucky ride in that I've gotten some nice contacts over the years. And a publisher who had done a book on pattern review tips was the company that reached out to me about actually first uh, revising a book about fit. And I Said that I wasn't particularly interested in revising a book because most of the books are we know are out there about fitting, you know, that you have a triangle or a rectangular body or whatever, and you're sort of your standard. If you have a forward shoulder, you do this. If you have a sway back, you do that. And in my experience, that gets you maybe 5% of the way to a good fit, maybe 10 or 15, but it doesn't really get you a really good personalized fit. So I proposed to the publishing company that I write a book using the system I developed, really employing HBLs all of the time. And that's how my book, The Complete Photo Guide to Perfect Fitting, came about. And luckily, it was well-received. I knew it could have been panned completely, but it has made sense to a lot of people. And I'm fortunate, I think, that it has helped a lot of people in their fit. So that's my background. I slowly did less custom work and increased my teaching. And as of about a year and a half ago, I stopped doing custom original work. I do a little bit of alteration work now, but my efforts really are devoted to teaching.
0: And I noticed that you're also doing mentoring as well as part of your teaching now.
1: I have always done a lot of one-on-one consulting. During COVID times, things are all taken virtual. (laughs) Fitting virtually is possible. It's slower, but you can make a lot of headway. Mm -hmm. So I offer consulting on an hourly basis if anybody wants that with me. And I also have two levels of mentorship programs. So if you really want to be working with me intensively, I don't care if you're a beginner sewer or if you have some experience or are really advanced, as long as you really are passionate about sewing, I'm happy to work with anybody. And I also have my own live video classes. I do at least one or two most weeks. So those are fun. Thank goodness for Zoom and that we all had to learn how to use Zoom. <laughs> it is. In non-COVID times, I generally am holding some workshops and We'll teach at national conferences and different places.
0: I have not yet been
1: able to come to Australia, though.
0: <laughs> we'll see, now we've got Zoom. So I think that's opened the doors for you to be able to teach people anywhere, anytime. It does. It's wonderful. Listeners, if you don't know Sarah Veblen, I'm hoping that, you know, the fact that she's told us her extensive experience that once we get on to the next sort of questions around shaping and getting a pattern to fit, you know, that this is coming from someone who knows what they're talking about. So because on The socialists we've got this theme about all butts welcome. Are there any key shaping tools that you use? Now you've already talked about the horizontal balance line.
1: So the horizontal balance lines tell you a huge amount and we're focusing on pants, right? Not skirts. So with pants, you want to have your horizontal balance lines. I like them at about the fullest part of the hip. I often put three parallel horizontal balance lines that are about two or three inches apart because it just gives you more to sight on. One a little bit above crotch level, one at the full hip, and one a little bit higher than that. In addition to the horizontal balance lines, I like to have a grain line, not just to show me where the grain of the fabric is, but To use as a fitting tool and where this vertical balance line is parallel to the grain line and what i do is measure at the hem of the pants divide it in half and then have that line extend all the way up so that is just parallel to your grain line but it is intersecting the midpoint of the hem And that vertical balance line is going to give you just a huge amount of information if you can learn to listen to it and pay attention to it. So I am a dedicated muslin maker. You can do a little bit in tissue fitting, but really the only way to get a beautiful, perfect fit is to be working in a muslin on the body. And I use both muslin and mock-up interchangeably as terms of a fitting shell or a fitting tool, a toile, um, lots of different words for it.
0: When you talk about a muslin, are you saying to do something in calico? It doesn't have to be
1: muslin fabric. Um, It just is a light colored, inexpensive fabric because you're going to make for pants. Usually I make three to four (laughs) mock-ups and sometimes more than that to, to work out my fit. And what my process is, is I'll develop my pattern or have my pattern and have my HBLs and my grain line. We've just talked about how to establish the grain line. Make a towel, have those lines on the twall so that you can see them easily. You want them dark enough that you don't have to be straining your eyes. And then fit after a few fitting changes, usually in pants, that means three to four I like to transfer all of those changes back to my pattern, and then I'll make a new muslin or fitting towel. The reason why I like this process is that in fitting, fitting a muslin on the body, the fabric is going to heat up a little bit due to the body and it's going to stretch. And what we want or what I want is to have my pattern represent what I can get out of new fabric. So I always feel like by making my change, transferring fitting changes back to my pattern tissue, making a new muslin, it's always a double check that those fitting changes were in fact getting me what I wanted. And so that's really getting effectuated. So I think nothing about making a new muslin. It's hard for some people if they aren't used to thinking that way, but after you get accustomed to seeing how much a fitting shell can tell you, you can get very hooked on it. Let me talk a little bit about what those HBLs and vertical grain lines are going to tell us about the fit of the pants. If the HBLs are dipping, typically they're dipping in the back, Mm -hmm. What we want is to have them, I'm talking with my hands, of course, nobody can see it, but you can. Uh, We want those HBLs level to the floor around the body. Typically what happens for the majority of figures is the HBLs might dip at the back and usually more right at the center back, then sometimes they'll go around the side into the side part of the buttocks level, and then they'll dip right as it comes to the center back crotch seam or center back seam. That almost always tells you that you don't have enough crotch length. And usually what you need is a longer crotch extension. So it's not that you need more length at the waist, but you need it between your legs. So you need it at your inseam, make your inseam longer at the crotch seam. And that's going to let those pants kind of come back further and then come up around the buttocks. Okay. HBLs are low in the back. That's almost always telling you you need more crotch length. If the grain lines are curving out, so they start to down straight from the waist. And then as they hit the buttock, especially the low part of the buttock, they are kind of rounded out towards the side seams. And then this vertical grain lines might then go straight to the floor. They might be a little angled. That tells you that your pants need to get scooped the famous scoop in the back crotch. Ah, yes. You can scoop your back crotch. I usually pin it first to see how much I need to scoop and where I need to scoop. If you're watching your vertical grain lines, What you are looking for is, you know, I'm showing you with my hands, but everybody can imagine it. You've got a curved area and you're scooping the center back crotch till they stand up straight. You don't want to scoop it so much that then they curve inwards towards center back. There's a limit to that. Scooping the center back crotch seam usually also lengthens it a little bit it's not a huge amount, but it will lengthen it a little bit. So in pants fitting, one of the things that I have found is that most of our adjustments are small. So we aren't talking one inch, one and a half inch, and I talk in um, inches. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. (laughs) The U.S. won't convert to metric, so I have never (laughs) converted to metric. Um, So we're not talking big changes. We're talking small changes. In pants, I consider a three-quarter of an inch adjustment a big adjustment. Often our changes are a quarter of an inch, three-eighths of an inch. And believe it or not, but even a one-eighth of an inch change can really affect the fit in your pants. So these are small increments. So these are the first things that I am really paying attention to. I want to try to get my HBLs as level as I can. And I want my grain lines in the front and the back to be nice and straight. Yep. And something that happens in the front a lot, I know we're talking primarily about buttocks, but what happens in the front a lot is we often have excess fabric between our vertical grain lines. And that involves scooping the front crotch. And that often involves that you also can shorten the front crotch extension. What happens for a lot, I'm, I love having you nod your head yes and say yes. It's like Because no, I, I
0: go through that all the time
1: so I'm not talking a foreign language at all so part of what the rub of getting pants to fit is to get not only the total crotch length correct but to get it in the correct proportion Mm -hmm. and very often women need less crotch length in the front and they need more crotch length in the back the other tools that I rely on very much to fit pants are darts and darts are (laughs) i'm laughing because there is a sort of segment of the pattern review population that i've been giving some live zoom classes for pattern review and a lot of them have been about darts and it's like okay sarah's going to talk about darts again (laughs) i love darts What is really good exercise, just so that we really, really understand what darts are all about, is to take a piece of copy paper and draw a dart, having the dart point more or less in the middle of the paper, doesn't have to be exact, draw your dart legs to one of the edges and then fold your dart and pin it or tape it and put that on the table And what you get instead of a flat sheet of paper is that you have, I call it a pup tent. You have a tent pop-up. And if you increase the distance between your dart legs, i.e. if you make a bigger dart, the tip of the teepee is going to be higher. Mm -hmm. So the more dart intake, the higher that teepee is.
0: If it's only a small dart, it's only one of those tents that you have to Put your head down to get into. That's right. You have the caterpillar in there. Yep. And if it's larger, you can almost walk in if you're my height, which is five foot, whatever. So you've got it. Now we
1: want to think about this. I think of darts as what they are doing is creating three-dimensionality in our garments. And that's a very important concept to keep in mind. And that's why I like to explain this experiment of making a couple of darts of different intakes, just in a flat piece of paper, putting them on the table, it becomes very graphic Mm -hmm. that you get different heights. So the larger your buttock, the more dart intake you're going to need, because you need that fabric to actually extend out. The crotch length is going to help it do that, but the crotch length cannot do it all on its own. And so we want to be thinking about the difference between the full buttock and then how small we're going up to the waist or large. I don't have a particularly small waist, so I'm always thinking it's not much different, but it's a little bit different. So the dart is what's allowing not only to get the waist narrower, but it's also creating the projection of the fabric for the buttocks to sit within. So these are concepts I really like to think about and talk about. Now let's think about in our piece of paper, let's have two dart points and let's take that original dart intake and split it into two. And we're going to make two parallel darts, or they don't have to be exactly parallel. We're going to make two darts with the equivalent of the same intake, and we're going to fold them in our paper and put our pup tent on the table and what you're going to get is the sides of the paper are going to come up and then you're going to have a flat plane across from dark point to dark point so instead of coming up right into a upside down v shape hmm. it's coming up and then a flat plane over to the other dark point and down so if you think about somebody who we're going to relate this to buttocks <laughs> yep. if you think about somebody who has a broader buttock shape, a wider buttock shape, they're going to need multiple darts in order to get that flat plane to fit across the buttock. Generally speaking, you need a dart in the back. Some people actually are quite straight, and Technically, you could fit them without a dart, but your pants look really funny if you don't have a back dart. So some people can get away with one dart, in the back. So one dart on the right, one dart on the left. That's how I'm using that term. We have one dart on our pattern piece, two darts in the whole garment. <laughs> and so if you aren't terribly large buttocked and your buttock isn't wide, one yeah. dart will probably suffice. Whereas if you're, you've got more space across your buttock, you will Almost certainly want to use two darts so that you get that flat plane between your two dart points. In addition to that, women who have a high shelf hip, so that little extra padding on the side of the body, high hip, shelf hip, it's referred to as any number of different things. If you carry a little fluff back there, you might find that your pants fit better and are way more comfortable. If you put a third dart in your pattern, that dart is usually going to have a very small intake because we aren't fitting the mass of the full buttock jutting out, but we're having just a little bit of darting to allow that little fluffy high hip area to sit within. So that dart intake, Sometimes it's a quarter of an inch total, so an eighth of an inch on each side of the dart. Sometimes it's three eighths, rarely it's as much as a half an inch. But this little tiny dart can make a big difference in how comfortable your pants are, and they will tend to stay in place better. Because you're starting to create three-dimensionality right after your side seam. As you're going around the waist, that's where you're starting that high dimensionality. That dart's going to be very short because it should not come down past the fluff area. And then you're going to have your other two darts. Those other two darts, I like to usually stagger them if I can. I like the one closest to center back to be longer. The one closer to the side seam, I like it to be a little bit shorter than that because I think that creates visually a better line. And that's really all that is, is it's just a visually more pleasing proportion to our eyes to have those darts staggered. Darting is a huge thing. I fit some figures where I've had four darts on each side. Some people will say, but I've never seen a pattern that has three darts in it. And I'll say, well, who cares? I mean, if that's what gives you a good fit
0: and it makes your pants comfortable, why not do it? Exactly. I've seen darting on the back yoke of jeans as well. Mm -hmm. They look great on. They fit over the curves really well. That's exactly right. That's the tool that's making those pants fit
1: over the curves well.
0: And usually someone might say, oh, I don't want to have darts on my jeans, but they're usually covered by the back pocket. So it's fine.
1: Well, it's interesting to me too, how many people, we have these preconceived ideas. And I think it's driven from ready-to-wear of what should be on a garment. Just because ready-to-wear doesn't use it, doesn't mean that it's the best thing. To me, very often ready-to-wear is eliminating certain fitting aspects because it's in it less expensive to make. In ready-to-wear, nowadays, if you are buying a blouse or a dress, how often do you find a back shoulder dart? Virtually never.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And most people benefit a lot by having a back shoulder or a back neck dart. And I don't know it's a fact, but I surmise is that if ready-to-wear can eliminate that dart, and it takes the sewing machine operators a minute for each dart, that's maybe two darts in a minute, over for one unit, one garment for like what we're doing, that's a negligible amount. But if you're making a thousand units, and you can save a thousand hours of time, that's a big cost savings. So I don't hold ready to wear is my standard it's not what i'm striving to because we can make things so much better than ready to wear
0: that's right and in vintage or 1950s garment patterns you'll have all of that all of that darting there although i have them as pleats and they look wonderful
1: absolutely wonderful
0: yeah so we've covered the shaping tools you've talked about doing three to four muslins Oh, actually, I have a question when it comes to muslins. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing each muslin and you've made the markings on the fabric and you transfer them onto the pattern, do you continue to use that same pattern for each muslin? Is that what you do?
1: Usually I'll do just what you say. I'll fit a muslin. I'll mark it with the changes, You know, mark all of my pins, whatever sometimes I'll take that muslin apart or partly apart so I can get the pattern oriented back on top. And then I'll pick up those changes and make the pattern alterations. Generally speaking, I then will just use that pattern because I've already made the alterations in it to make the next muslin. At some point in a lot of my garments that I'm fitting for myself or students and when I was doing custom client work for sure, I would have so much tape and so many changes it would be whole oh, just looking at it would give me the heebie-jeebies but it'd be like I don't know if I've lost any accuracy just because It's really hard with that much tape to keep your pattern absolutely flat. And that's what a flat pattern is flat pattern because it's a two dimension. We don't want any darts that you just smash down and you (laughs) (laughs) hope that nobody notices that you want everything to be perfectly flat. Periodically, when I feel like there's just too much tape or I've lost the accuracy, I've changed a seam so many times, maybe it's that I can't tell where my seam is anymore I will copy my pattern again. And when I do that, I'm very reliant on my rulers and my ruler work to get pretty lines. First of all, I want to make sure that my HBLs and my vertical grain lines, vertical balance lines are absolutely perpendicular to each other. But then as I'm working on, say, the side seam shaping, because it often curves in at the waist, curves out at the hip, and then curves in again at that upper thigh a little bit, going down to the knee. I'll want to take my time with my ruler and maybe even out some places that had gotten ragged looking. Mm -hmm. We can also, if we have time and you want to talk about it, we can talk about truing patterns and truing pants patterns, because in the side seams, I have found that if when I'm walking my patterns, if I have too many places I have to pivot, I don't get as pretty a result. And so I'm making an assumption here by using some of those words that everybody in your audience will know that. So when I walk a pants pattern on the side seam, I'm going to start at the hem and work my way up and of course the point of walking a pattern is you see those two we're checking that the seam lines are the same length and so the pivot is where they're kind of at different angles and you have to pivot one relative to the other but I also pay attention to how many pivots I have because in pants generally speaking if I can keep my pivots to about three or four I usually get a better looking pair of pants especially on the side seam Mm. so that I don't have a whole lot of like little jagged jagged is too strong of a word but if you've had to pivot say eight times it's almost like you have dot to dot little tiny straight straight is an exaggeration but like a whole bunch of straight sections that then you're pivoting at and what you want is a really long slow Undulating curve. You want it very smooth. So that's when I copy my patterns because I've got too much tape on them and I feel like I'm losing accuracy. That's when I especially will pay attention to what my ruler work is so that I have these really nice
0: long blends. And that's when you use the curved ruler? Yeah,
1: I particularly like the styling design ruler. Mm-hmm. But for pants, I very often will use a very form ruler. Sometimes I use a hip curve. I don't typically reach for a hip curve nearly as much as I work with either the very form curve or the styling design ruler.
0: Okay. I'll put links to those rulers on the podcast blog post so that people can go to and find them. Great.
1: Okay. I can say a few more things about chewing the pattern. Yeah. So we've paid attention to the Length of the side seam, and then you're going to pay attention to the length of the inseam. So on my side seams, I want them to be true, technically, absolutely the same length. I don't want one longer than the other. On the inseam, I want them either true, the front and back inseams to be the same length, or the back inseam can be a little bit shorter than the front, up to about three eighths of an inch you never want the front shorter than the back. You always want the back shorter than the front or the same length as the front. And when you are sewing that, if the back is shorter from about six or seven inches below the crotch seam, you're going to stretch the back. And sometimes people don't even realize that once they're sewing a muslin or a pair of pants, they don't even feel like the back inseam is any shorter than the front inseam because so much of that back inseam is on the bias. It's like, there's no big deal there, (laughs) but it's okay for that to be in a larger size up to half an inch, but quarter, three eighths of an inch. And then another aspect of truing is that you want to make sure that your crotch seam does not have a peak at the top of the inseam. So what I do is have my, let's visualize having the front pattern on the table and the crotch is going towards the middle. Yep. And then you put your back on top of that. So your inseams are one on top of the other. Right. And you can only match them up for three or four inches at the top, because then the legs are going to go off at a crazy angle and you want your crotch seams Lining up. And if you get a peak at the top of the inseam, you want to take that peak out. And so that from front crotch curve over to the back crotch curve, it's more of a flat plane. And that doesn't mean that it's perpendicular to anything. It's just that from that curve, one crotch curve over to the other, you don't want it rising or lowering in the middle. Rising, especially, is what you get when you're lengthening your back crotch extensions. But you want to take that out. For one thing, it's not comfortable. And also it's going to make it look like your pants come up between your legs and then fold down rather than you want those inseams coming up to a point right up under the body so that you have an upside down V in the middle of the body rather than a W of cloth there.
0: If they're going up, would you then take it out as in drawing a line or would you pinch it out?
1: just draw a line and adjust your seam allowances. If you keep seam allowances in your pattern and cut off what is extra. A lot of people get super nervous about this. It's a question I'm asked a lot. And I say, yes, really, truly just cut that away. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. And then in terms of your waist, our back waists are often higher than the front waist. Lots of us Even if we don't have a truly tilted waist, a lot of us like the feel of our pants if they're a little bit lower in the front. So, when you true your waist seam, you want to make sure your darts are folded and pinned in place. And the back, often from center back over to a little bit past the midway point, is almost going to be flat coming across. And then it's going to slowly. Angle down towards the side seams and sometimes then it's going to continue down to the center front and for beginner sewers in particular who are accustomed to looking at commercial patterns and thinking well a commercial pattern looks like this then I've got to make sure my pattern looks like this it's a very straight waist Mm. because they're working on a standardized form where that figure is balanced unlike most of us. Whereas in reality, even on my pants and I'm a pretty straight figure, my back is higher and I kind of curve down towards the side seam, come across a little bit and then curve down towards center front a little bit.
0: The reality is, is when you're standing in pants, that's fine. But when you finally sit down, they'll drop at the back. A waistband can really help keep the pants
1: in place. I use a facing most of the time. I have to make my pants a little bit tighter then because they will just drop. Pants are going to take up virtually as much room as they can get on your body. So if you have a waistband, and I always fit with an elastic around the waist, a tight up piece of elastic tied around the waist. Yeah with seam allowance up above, or else I'll, once I know what the waist is, I I might have a, a waistband on it, not a facing, but a band to hold it in place. If you sit and your pants drop a lot, it's that you need more back crotch extension Okay, to give you more length between the legs. What's hard about pants for a lot of people is we're talking about the depth of the body, the distance between the front of the body Through the legs to the very tip end of the buttocks to the other end of the body. And that's what's hard about pants is that three dimensionality that the side seams are relatively easy. It's that crotch length that's really important. So, occasionally in pants, if they drop just a little bit, you can raise the back waist and that will give you what you need. But most of the time, if they're dropping, an inch and a half, something like that, you need more crotch extension. You need more crotch length. And it's not at the back waist. It's down below through the legs that you need that. For me, if pants drop, when I sit down, if they drop about half an inch, five eighths of an inch, and they're comfortable, that's fine. It's hard to get pants that don't drop at all for a lot of figures, if you want a tighter fitting leg, if you want a looser leg, then it's usually pretty easy to achieve.
0: From talking to people now that you've been zooming, have any of the people come up with ways of being able to see themselves when they're trying to fit themselves that they've told you about?
1: Yes. And something that I recommend to people a lot I use my cell phone a lot. I use the camera on my cell phone and I will either set it up and have, I think almost all phones that have a camera now have a timer on the camera. The first ones that I take are the wall or a bookcase or something. And then I have to figure out, I stand here and the camera is here. And so you just, you figure that relationship out. The other thing you can do is just hold your phone up and point it around to your backside. The thing you have to be careful about that, your arm is twisting your torso and your stance is going to be thrown off. That's why it's really nice to just set your phone or if you have a camera on a pile of books or, you know, it's just something to keep it stationary. Set your timer. If you've got somebody in the household or a friend who can do that for you, that makes it a little bit easier. But to me, if there's a will, there's a way. And if you really want to fit pants, yeah, you can say, well, I can't do it because I can't see my backside. Well, you can see your backside if you take some pictures. The advantage to taking pictures is, I think, twofold, probably more than that, but it's twofold. One is that it is going to give you a different spatial distance. So your focal distance is different. And so you're going to see yourself a little bit further away than if you were just looking in the mirror. And that is often extremely helpful. Some of my students say they're surprised how looking in the mirror, they think, oh, the muslin's looking pretty good. And then they take a picture and go, "Ooh, look at those drag lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the camera is brutally honest. And some of those you have to just kind of ignore and say, okay, that's just a pin or that's you know my underwear and shirt bunching up together. I think the other reason taking pictures is helpful is almost everybody, I know it's true for myself and a lot of people I've talked to, when I look in the mirror, it's really loaded. My eye goes to the parts of my body that I am least happy with every single time even though this is something I talk with students about and have taught about and how we need to take that out of the equation, it's still really hard to do. Whereas when you're looking at a picture, there's a removal of that. And it's easier for a lot of people to just focus in on the picture itself, looking at the muslin and saying, what's going on in this muslin? So much of fitting is training your eye. It's training your eye to see and to understand what it needs to be looking for. And that's where our, once I started to work with horizontal balance lines and vertical grain lines or vertical balance lines, it made my fitting so much more accessible because I had something to sight on. It wasn't just, well, I'll change this here and change that there and change this here. And then all of a sudden I'm back to where I began. And I thought, well, that's out of whack. Whereas with your horizontal balance lines and vertical balance lines, you've got a framework that you're fitting within. And it can be very helpful if you learn to utilize those.
0: It's like you've drawn a grid on your pants. It's exactly right. Yeah.
1: And I often refer to this as the fitting grid in the Eureka Pants That Fit pattern. It's referred to as a fitting grid. And I have had some students say, In addition to the three HBLs in the torso across the buttock area and around to the front and the vertical grain lines, they find that if they put three vertical balance lines in on the back, three on the front, and maybe a couple more horizontal balance lines, it starts to really make like a grid on your body and it can be easier to read. Such helpful information, Sarah. Oh, Good. I always want people to get as excited about fitting as I am <laughs> talking about the, I have a couple of friends who will be uh, when, in days when we could be together, we'd be sitting around in the evening after a workshop and we'd be talking about fitting. It's just like, oh my gosh, we're such fitting nerds.
0: <laughs> it's part of what we do as a cellist. you know, you can construct and do things you know, whatever style you want, but if it doesn't fit, people see that they see what you're wearing. They don't see you.
1: Yes, I agree. And
0: what we all would love to have
1: is that wonderful synchronicity when the fit is right and the fabric is right and the style is right and uh, everything just falls in. And as I said earlier, you put something on and you just feel like a million dollars in it. And to me, that's important because when we feel that good about In our clothes, I think it helps us feel good about ourselves. And I think that allows us to be more creative or to enter into our creativity more easily. And I think it helps us interact with other people. We don't feel squirrely in our own body. You know, those days when you think, I cannot wait to get home and take off what I have on. (laughs) That's a hard way to live. Whereas when you if you're wearing things that feel really good on. It just makes everything else in your life, I think, uh, go even better. And I just so want men and women, but mostly I work with women to find a place to be creative and sewing garments is so creative.
0: It is. And the skills from sewing can be applied in so many different areas and so many different interests. We're very lucky. Yeah. Are there any last words you want to leave listeners with making sure that they're able to fit their backsides better? Don't be surprised how long your back crotch extension is.
1: (laughs) Um, And don't say that's impossible that mine's that long. Your body is what it is. And the point is to make a garment and a pad, develop a pattern that represent that so that you can look and feel your best. So try to take out of your mind what you feel like a pants pattern should look like. And pay a lot more attention to what your fitting grid is telling you. And also, I think it's easy to get 90% of the way there on a pants fit. I think the last five to 10%, which almost always comes down to comfort, Mm -hmm. is the hardest to achieve. And if you like a skinny pant, you're going to have to work a whole lot harder and do more renditions than if you like a fuller leg pant we're just asking the fabric to do so much to come around a buttock and then get really narrow around the upper thigh so think about what style of pants you want and maybe try something a little bit fuller leg and if you get a good fit there and make some pants and that's comfortable then I think it's an easier thing to say, okay, now what can I do? How can I shorten my crotch extension at the end seams to tighten those legs up? Also, back princess seams on pants can be an extraordinarily good fitting tool because you've got a seam going right there over the buttocks and you can add more dimensionality there by curving those seams out and they can help you. Take out some of that fabric that is loose on the back of the leg under the buttocks, Mm -hmm. but you can't take out too much because then you can't sit down (laughs) (laughs) or walk. So cocktail pants are great, but where you're at a cocktail party and you don't need to sit down. But most of us like to be able to sit and walk upstairs. So just be respectful in your mind or understanding in your mind that there are some limitations to what we can get unless we start to go into really stretchy fabrics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for those words of encouragement for people who are pretty much ready now to get started on their trouser fitting journey.
1: I hope so. And thank you for having me. If I've encouraged just a small handful of people, I'll feel like I've done what I wanted to do.
0: Listeners, you need to go to sarahbeblin.com to get more information about what Sarah's doing. So thank you, Sarah. This was a blast. Thank you so much. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Soul Organised Style Podcast for Socialists was produced by me, Maria Harris, with permission of Sarah Beblin, soundbybensound.com. You can subscribe to Soul Organised Style Podcast, but with an S, not a Z on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher and anywhere you listen to good podcasts. Post any questions you have on our website at Podcast.com or on our Instagram account of Sew Organised Style or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.